0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. The uh, beginning of the summer, my wife, Corey, and I uh, took a vacation, just the two of us. We have four kids, so we don't get to get away a lot, just the two of us. We, We do date nights and things, but like a trip like this, we... We got away, and we did something a little different. We, uh, we, we cashed in some frequent flyer miles and some things that we had, and we went to the West Coast. We flew out to L.A., and we spent like a, about a 36-hour period there in L.A., and then we got on a cruise ship, and we spent a week in the Pacific Ocean, and it was awesome. We had a blast. We went to Catalina Islands, and we spent some time at sea, and then we went to Ensenada, Mexico uh, one of the days, which was great. We had a good time. But I don't, if you've ever been on a cruise, you know how you can pre-buy the excursions when you get to like a port of call, you can go and do some different things there, and so you can go scuba diving, and you can go see the dolphins, and you can go do all kinds of things, and you can pre-buy those, but I never do that because I'm always like, man, I want to get on the ground, get in the town, and then I feel like I can figure out what I need to do. And so we've done all kinds of fun things when we've cruised in the past. So we get to Ensenada, we get off the boat, we start walking around the little, little part of town right there near the cruise ship, and you know, it's real touristy, and you can buy all the same stuff at all you know, places side by side. So I see this place over kind of in the corner there where you can rent a moped. Now, if you look at me, I know you think, Bikester. But, I mean, I, I was like, we got to do this. Like, I've never driven a moped. I, I, I have driven a, a motorcycle one time, but I've never driven a moped. And I was like, it can't be that hard. And so I, I was wrong, by the way. But I went... And I convinced Corey that we needed to rent this moped. And so we talked to the guy that's renting this. And I was like, all right, what is there to do? What's fun? What do we need to do? He was like, you need to go to La Bufadora. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but that sounds awesome. Here's the picture of us on the moped. Um, Just excuse the funny looks here, but we're on the moped. He was like, you need to go to La Bufadora. He was like, it's like 20 minutes from here. I was like, awesome. So he tells me how to go. Go up here, turn right, stay on that road for a few miles, and you're going to see a big green sign that says La Bufadora, take a right. I'm thinking this is like a touristy town. I was wrong. All the touristy stuff stopped like 500 feet off the ship, and now I'm in like downtown Atlanta. And so I get on this moped with my loving wife, strapped to me, like ripping a hole through my stomach. She's so nervous. And I get on like Peachtree Industrial. It's pretty much what it is. It's like four lanes of just jammed up traffic. There are cars on both sides of us. We are doing 50 kilometers an hour on a moped with only that as safety. And I mean, we're driving, and it was, the, it was so scary for her. I was obviously just full of confidence. But I mean, it was, we're driving down the road, and, and we're looking, and we drove for a while. And after we had driven, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, she lovingly, as, as wives often do, said, do you know where you're going? And I was like, as husbands do, absolutely. The guy told me where to go. I've got directions in my head. I know right where we're going. I mean, I know exactly where we're going because obviously I knew kind of in the general direction vicinity where we were headed. And so we go for like 40 kilometers, and then I see the green sign. Just before I turned around thinking I had missed it, I see the green sign, and I turn right off this main road, and I get onto this other little tiny road that has no guardrails and takes us up the side of a mountain. We go up the side of a mountain, and then we go back down the other side of that mountain. No guardrails, mind you, and we finally get to La Bufadora. Now, in English, la translates to the blowhole. Now, the blowhole was awesome. I'm gonna show you a little video right here. This is what the blowhole is. There's people over there kayaking. We didn't pay to do that because we rented the moped. But you just stand right here and then all of a sudden the water's like on you. And it does that like every 30 seconds. It's really cool. I can't even capture it in the video how cool it is because it kind of overtakes all the people that are there. There was shopping. It was fun. We had a great time. Now on the way, we didn't really know how great a time we were gonna have, but it was awesome. We spent time there. And then we decided to drive back because now we have to go like the 50 or 60 kilometers back to Ensenada where we came from There's no Around it, and so on the way back, we knew where we were going now. And so Corey's a little; she's a, you know she's got a little more confidence that I know where I'm headed at this point. She, a rock had jumped up off the road and hit her in the eye, but she could see still, so she was fine. She didn't hold me accountable for that. And so on the way back, she decides that she wants to video the drive on the moped. Now, you're about to watch a video. Go ahead and start it, guys. I am not holding the camera. She is holding my phone around in front of me, showing that we're driving like 50 kilometers an hour here. We're driving down. Turn the sound up just a little bit. I don't think we did this in the first service. I'm talking a little bit. We're driving. This is the air. There's no tourists anywhere. Like, this is just us going on an adventure, and we're driving. And the problem is, I don't see other people. I'm assuming I'm still going in the right general direction. None of these signs are in English. And what you're going to see here in just a minute as I'm driving and doing, you know, pretty, pretty good rate of speed and we're having a lot of fun is that I don't recognize that that red sign to the right up there that says Alto means stop. And so I want you to watch this here as I'm continuing to go 50 kilometers an hour. I'm not familiar with Alto. I almost laid it down, folks. I mean... I don't know if my insurance would have covered a moped accident in Ensenada, Mexico. Thankfully, I didn't have to see, but like we almost laid it down. It was so fun, though. Like, looking back now, we, we, we laughed about it yesterday, thinking about how fun this experience was. It was off the beaten path. Like, I Google mapped it yesterday. It was way farther than that guy told me it was. But I know if he told me how far it actually was, I wouldn't have paid for the moped rental. But he, he sold me on it. We had a blast. We had so much fun. And what we did is we had an adventure. And when I think about adventure, I think about something that's kind of out of the ordinary, so if I was looking up a definition of adventure, which I did, by the way, this is what it means. An unusual and exciting, typically hazardous, and it was, experience or activity, especially the exploration of unknown territory. La Bufadora was unknown territory to us. We, we didn't know anything about it. It was great, but we had a blast. It was an adventure. It was something new for us. It was something that potentially was hazardous, but created a little bit of excitement and suspense. Now, here's what I know about adventure My everyday life doesn't always feel like an adventure. My everyday life feels like buying groceries, mowing the grass, taking my kids where they're supposed to go, doing laundry. Like When we're doing life together, our everyday lives don't always feel like an adventure. But I really do believe that God desires us to live this adventurous life that he's calling us to. He wants us to live the kinds of lives that feel adventurous, that have some excitement to it, that there is some suspense, that get us into unknown territories. I believe if we're constantly going to known territories, it just feels mundane and it feels like we're repeating day after day after day and it gets boring and we we hate eventually the kind of life that we're living and we start to make bad choices to get out of that life. But I don't think that's what we have to do. So today we're going to start a brand new series of sermons for three weeks called The Great Adventure, and we're going to look at three characters in Scripture, three people, three individuals, that I believe their story connects to our story in our everyday lives. I don't think all of them are these supernatural, miraculous types of stories that sometimes we read in Scripture that we go, well, that's not my life. I think you're going to see some things in each of these stories over these three weeks that connect to right where you're at on a random Tuesday or a random Thursday, But I believe the great adventure is what God is calling us to. So today we want to start in the book of Acts. Now the book of Acts is one of my favorite books in all of the Bible because it comes after the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John which are those four books that tell us the story of the life and ministry of Jesus on earth in the most succinct way. It's littered throughout all of the Bible, but those are the four books where we see most of the stories of the life and ministry of Jesus. And then coming out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is this linchpin in the New Testament, Because what it does is it reaches back into the Gospels, those four books, and takes the ministry and the message of Jesus, and it reaches ahead into the rest of the New Testament and the formation of the New Testament first century church, and it connects those messages. It takes Jesus and his band of twelve, and it takes the things that he did while he was on earth with them, And it takes them into the book of Acts to begin to create this New Testament church with the message and the charge that Jesus had given to them. And so today we want to look in the book of Acts to look at this great adventure of one of the people in the story of the book of Acts. So let me just kind of catch us up to where we're going to start the story. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus had lived on earth, died on the cross, been raised from the dead, and had begun to appear to his closest followers and to those that were following after him. And so Jesus is appearing to his disciples and he gives them a charge, tells them that they're going to be his witnesses and they've got a command to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he disappears. He goes straight up into heaven and ascends back to the Father. And, and one of the funniest scripture of, verses of Scripture in the Bible to me is that it tells us that they're just standing there looking up. Like they're just hanging out waiting on him to come back or to go. They didn't know what they were waiting on. And some people walk by and say, hey, what are you waiting on? What are you looking at? And So we see that Jesus... Leaves them and ascends back to the Father and they're left with this message, this charge to go and be his witnesses. Acts chapter 2 is the, the day of Pentecost. It's where the Holy Spirit comes and empowers God's people in the upper room to go out and live on mission. And then we see from Acts chapter 3 to Acts chapter 6, the formation of the church, the spreading from the day of Pentecost of those disciples, these apostles now, helping to form the church, to form teams and ministries all, out, all throughout Jerusalem and eventually begin to spread. And then in Acts chapter 7, we see a guy by the name of Stephen show up in the story. Stephen is a guy, he's been referenced a couple times prior to this, but he's a guy who is receiving a lot of opposition and persecution. You can imagine that these followers of Jesus, when they were a small 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 group, didn't really get much attention from anybody. But as they began to expand, as they began to grow, they started to get a lot of attention focused on them. And so the opposition against them and the persecution uh, pointed toward them continues to grow. And so Stephen is one of the guys that begins to draw the ire of those over him and the religious leaders of that day. And so he is preaching and proclaiming the gospel message. And they began to try to plot how they're going to kill him And we want to pick this up in Acts chapter 7, verse 57, where we see the end of the story of Stephen. This is what it says. At this, they, the people listening to Stephen, covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Look at uh, chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, while the story of Stephen is important, today we're going to focus a little more on the story of this guy named Saul. Now, as Stephen is being stoned to death, It says that they came, they, the religious leaders, the people that were stoning him, they came and laid their coats at the feet of Saul. Now what this means, because the first time I read that I was like, why did they do that? So they come and lay their coats at the feet of Saul. What they're doing is they are taking their coats off so they can do this dirty deed that they're trying to do to kill Stephen. They are laying their coats at the person that they view to be in charge of or condoning their action. And so by laying their coats, kind of their cloak, they would take that off and lay it at the feet of the person that would approve of their actions. So they're doing something terrible. If Saul would have walked away or he would have stepped on their coats, they would have had to stop because he is no longer condoning them and he would no longer be protecting them for the actions that they're taking part in right now. But as he stands there with their coats in front of his feet, he stands there that says, I acknowledge what you're doing and I approve of what you're doing. Keep doing it. And so they go ahead and they keep stoning Stephen, eventually putting him to death. And then it says that godly men came. They took him and buried him and they mourned his death. And Saul, it says, not only did he approve of Stephen's death, he begins to help break out this incredible opposition and persecution towards the church. And Saul goes on to begin to, he he, he, uh, screams out these murderous threats. But not only that, he begins to try to put men and women who are followers of the way. The way here are these earliest first followers of Jesus Christ. So you'll see that capitalized. We're going to read it in just a few minutes. But throughout the New Testament, you might see some of these uh, called The Way. It's capital W. These are those earliest followers. Before they're called the church, before they're called the ecclesia, the people of God, they're just called The Way. And so Paul here, who is Saul to this point in the story, he is calling out murderous threats on them and trying to arrest and put in prison all these men and women who are followers of the way, And what we see in this story is that he's kind of an up-and-coming somebody in the religious circles. He's a leader. He's somebody that they would have laid their coat. They're, they're killing a guy, and they think that Saul is the one who can approve of them killing this guy. He's the one who approved it. He's the one who's now leading the charge to send more people into prison. He's kind of up and coming. He's got a little influence. He's got a little stature. People see him as somebody that's rising up through the ranks of leadership in the religious circles. And so he, by his own accord, is writing a story where he's beginning to be somebody. That's awesome. We all want to be somebody in some way. We want people to look at us and see that there's something about us that they admire. He's living the kind of life he wanted to live. And that's a really cool thing, except that the story doesn't end there. As he's doing this thing where he's approving of all these people to go to prison and he's overseeing the death of Stephen and others, we see that God jumps into the story here of Saul in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read all the first nine verses, so just buckle up and hang on right here. Acts chapter 9, 1 through 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now this is a turning point in Saul's life. You and I have the the ability that Saul didn't have to be able to read the rest of his story if you choose to do so. I encourage you to read the book of Acts. Maybe make that a part of your devotional time or Bible reading over the next few days or even weeks to read the whole book of Acts. It's an incredible story and some of the best narrative story of Scripture. It's not something kind of weird that you can't really get into. It's stories of people that are traveling and doing ministry and doing life and having conflict and figuring out how to resolve that conflict. So read that. It's really good. But we see that this is a turning point in his life. Because we see here that he had been doing his own thing, but then he sees God jump into his story and he now has the opportunity to try to figure out what is God saying to me? What is God doing in me? And what does God want to do through me? Because this is a moment not just for Saul, but for the, the entire global church. He will play a vital part In helping the global church, especially those that are not of Jewish descent, to hear the gospel message. If you're in here today and you are not of Jewish descent, you sit here with the ability to hear these words because of the ministry of Saul. Because what he did is he, in just a minute, we're gonna read, he kind of responds and allows God to do something in and through him that's different than the story he was writing. Now, as a church over the last four and a half years, we've attempted to try to do that, to listen to the voice of God and to do what we believe God is telling us to do. Today is the first day we've had three services. Thanks for coming to the 10 o'clock. Some of you need to consider going to 830 or 1130 for us and opening up some more seats. But here's what we did. Just throwing that in there, right? Here's what we did. We wanted to say, God, what is it you want us to do? Because we've been in existence for about four and a half years or so. We met at Sequoia High School for 209 Sundays, and God was faithful in that season. That's why there's 209 rocks along the front of this stage, to say this is an altar, this is a place of remembrance for us of what God did in the first 209 Sundays before we walked into this place. And we're trusting God and believing for even greater things in our future. And so we say, okay, we only had one service, and then we went to two when we opened here in January. And in this season of time since we went to two service, God has completely blown our minds and brought new people. And some of you are a part of that group. And we've seen our attendance increase by 70% over last year from this time this year. And so we said we got to open up more seats. And so we created three services to give those that were attending our two services space to spread out so that we could have more seats. Not for you to be comfortable so that there are more seats for people who do not know the saving grace of Jesus Christ to come into this place and hear the message of the gospel. And so I mean it. Some of you need to be missionaries to 8.30 or 11.30 and open up more seats at 10 o'clock. But we just say, hey, we want to hear from God. And that's that's the opportunity that Saul had. He's walking down this Damascus road and he's trying to figure out, what am I doing? I'm going to help arrest people. I'm I'm screaming out murderous threats to these people that are followers of the way. And so what am I going to do? Well, God interrupts his story. There's a bright light and a sound from heaven. Now, today, there is a bright light and a sound from the stage. And not as the voice of God in your life, but maybe as the voice that says to you to listen to the voice of God in your life. Maybe God desires to call you to something adventurous. Maybe God is desiring to call you to something that's different than the story you're writing for yourself. Maybe he desires for you to do something different than what you think is giving you influence and stature in your life and in your business and in your home and in your community. Because God desires to call you to something bigger. As we were reading the first nine verses of Acts chapter 9, I noticed a couple things and I want us to walk through those just for a moment. The first thing that I saw when we were reading in verse 3, it says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, and here's my observation there, that God will get your attention while you're doing your own thing. God will get your attention while you're doing your own thing. Again, maybe it's today with a bright light and a voice that's calling out to you. Listen to the voice of God. Or maybe it's when you open your Bible and read something that you've read a hundred times before or five times before, or maybe you're reading it for the first time, but it jumps off the page at you, and you believe that God is saying something to you about where you're at in life and what God wants to do in and through you. Because I believe that you can chart your own course, but I believe all along the way as you're writing your own story, God wants to interrupt that story and get your attention and say, I created you for more than this. I cre- even People may look at you and think you're somebody, but I created you for more than this. I want you to live in my story. In verse 6, we read that he said, now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The second observation that I had here is that God can be specific. God can be specific. A lot of times, I want God to be more specific than he is when he's talking to me, but I believe that God can be specific. Sometime soon, in the near future, I don't know when it is, a couple weeks from now maybe, I'm going to do a sermon on the will of God, the plan of God for our life. It's been something that I've talked about in conversation over the last few months, and that, and that usually indicates that it's something I'm about to preach on. And so I'll do more study on it, and at some point I will. But here, let me just go ahead and give you the bullet point. I'll give you the, the, I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you, but you still need to come that day. I'm going to spoil it for you. Here's what I believe about the will of God. I believe that the will of God is like the Grand Canyon. I believe sometimes we have made it so difficult to understand what it means to follow after the plan of God, the will of God for our life. But I believe the will of God is like the Grand Canyon. If you know anything about the Grand Canyon, you know that there are so many places within that canyon that are wide. And you can continue moving forward in the direction that you believe God is calling you and the way that you think it means to pursue God. You can keep moving forward and you can go this way or that way and keep moving forward in that direction. You've got this job to decide from and this job and this job and this thing and this thing and that thing. And you're like, God, do I need to take this job or that job? And I think sometimes God says yes. Either one. Neither one of them makes you more saved or less saved. Neither one of you makes you love me more or love you less. It Just, yeah, go ahead, choose which one you think is right for you. I believe sometimes the will of God is like that. I also know that the Grand Canyon narrows sometimes to a place where you have to take one foot and put it in front of the other to keep moving forward in the same direction. I believe there are times when God is that specific with you and I. When God says to us, get up, go into the city, and wait until I tell you what to do next. I think that's the will of God sometimes. Now, we think that the will of God is always like that, but I think today, and let me just give you a little bit of freedom, I think sometimes it can be as wide as those widest parts of the Grand Canyon that says, no, I'm, I'm pursuing God. I'm moving in the direction that God has called me to, and God has given me grace and freedom to pursue him in this entire width moving forward. But there are other times when God says, no, 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 get up, go into the city, and wait until I tell you something else. I believe that's what God does for us sometimes, is he is very specific. And so we need to learn what the voice of God sounds like, so we know when he's speaking. And we need to have people around us that help us filter that, to know, yes, that is the voice of God. Yes, that is wisdom. And yes, you need to move forward in that direction. We read in verse 7, it said, The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Here's my observation here. Others won't experience what you experience. Some of you stood here during worship, and it was like you just got your Jesus on. Like, you, it was just like all on you. You, I mean, it was an amazing experience. You just felt like Jesus was standing right next to you. Others of you were updating Facebook, right? And that's okay, right? Some of us experience something in a moment that others don't experience in the same moment. People have walked out of a service, and they'll go, man, God was here today. And the person right beside them is like, really? I didn't feel a thing. Because others won't experience what you experience every single moment, They say that tweeting is the new amen, and some of you are tweeting amens right now, and others of you are just trying to figure out what time the lunch restaurant opens up. Like, I get that, because others of you won't experience what some of you are experiencing in a moment, and that's okay. Paul saw, sees the light, hears the sound, and the people standing around him do not have the same experience that he had, because God wanted to say something specific and do something specific in Saul that he wasn't trying to do in the guys that were walking with him. There was something that God was doing specifically for Saul in that moment that he wasn't doing for the people walking beside him. And that's the way God works in your life too. He doesn't always generally do things for us. I believe that he specifically does things for you. And it may be that the person beside you doesn't have the same experience that you have in that moment, and that's okay. Verse 9, for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Saul had to be blinded to get a glimpse of the future that God had for him. If you think about it, Saul was writing his own story. He had his own plan. He had these things he was trying to do, and he had to be blinded. God had to literally close his eyes off so that he couldn't see the things with his natural eyes that he could naturally see, so that he could see the things with his spiritual eyes that God desired for him to see, so that he could hear. You know, they say that your senses are heightened when one of them is is diminished. I believe as his eyes went black that maybe his ears and maybe his soul opened up to hear what god might be saying to him this was a pivotal moment for saul and it was a pivotal moment for the history of the global church because saul was uniquely positioned to be the mouthpiece of god to the people who otherwise would not have believed he would later take missionary journeys which if you still have a printed bible some of those are in the back of your bible and some maps He would take these missionary journeys. He would go into these towns and he would start churches and plant churches and hand off leadership of those churches to individuals in that community. And then he would leave. He would later be imprisoned He would be shipwrecked as he's going to preach the gospel and defend himself to Caesar. He would go onto that island of Malta and he would reach down towards a fire and a snake would jump out and bite him and wouldn't kill him. And the people there in Malta, they would respond to Paul because he was not killed by that snake. Like there's incredible stories that happen here. He would write two-thirds of the New Testament. But here's what you and I know because it's true of our lives. He would not have had these kinds of adventures in his life if he had chosen to live the life that he was writing for himself. I believe he could have had stature and influence and leadership in that religious circle. But he would not have had the opportunity to live these types of adventures if he had continued to do what he was charting for his own life. So as you read the story of Saul, you see that God interrupts his story, gets his attention, and he is blinded for three days. And I want you to look at what happens. God sent this man who was scared of Saul at first to lay hands on him and scales fall off of his eyes. And he's able to see. And then this man takes Saul to hang out with the disciples for a few days. These same disciples that just three days before were scared that Saul was the one coming to kill them. I'm assuming that they think this is a conspiracy. This is kind of a, he's hiding, he's undercover. He's trying to get into where they're, you know, they're hanging out so that he can arrest them or even kill them. But look this in Acts 9, 19 through 22. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 21 said, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who? The adventure of living with God is that he can transform your past into something powerful. Isn't he the man who? Do you do that? I know I do sometimes. We judge people by their past, by their worst mistakes, by the things that they did that they're ashamed of. They wish they could hide. And we look at them and we see them attempting to do something great with their lives. And we say, isn't that the man who? Isn't that the woman who? And we began to We begin to think that maybe they can't do what God is calling them to do because we see it in the way that we write stories and we can't see it in the way that God writes stories. God is calling us to a great adventure that allows our past to become something powerful for him. This great adventure becomes a God adventure as Saul becomes Paul and he becomes this one who was wreaking havoc on the church and eventually becomes the one who actually helps to create the early church built on the message of the Gospels. But let's be honest, it's easy for us to, to allow and grace for other people to be used in spite of their past, but I don't know that we give ourselves the same leniency. I don't know that we, we believe and allow that God can actually do that in us, that God can allow us to get past our past. But what if instead of using our past as a crutch, it becomes a tool by which God wants to use in this new great adventure life? I told you that Saul began to plant churches. He began to travel around and he would go into these communities and he would gather believers together and he would plant these churches and he would hand off leadership and then he would leave and he began to write letters back to them. And I want you to see what he wrote in Galatians chapter 1, this letter in the New Testament, where he is writing back to a group of people that he had already been with and I want you to see how he believes that God has used his past for something incredible. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism and how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him Among the Gentiles, skip to verse 22. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Here's what I know you and I can keep living the lives that we choose to live, and we can advance in stature, we can advance in influence. Perhaps things could go our own way a little bit and we could see some things happen and some earthly success happen. Or we can chart out into the unknown. This is probably the worst, least articulate, most unspiritual thing that I could say to you today. But I think that God is calling you and He's calling me to get on the moped with Him, to get on the moped and to go to uncharted territories. To go out into a place that you and I don't fully understand. That you and I can't fully know what it is that's before us. And to live this life of great adventure. To live a life that is different than the story we would write on our own. And to trust God that he knows what is best for us. And how our past might become powerful. And how something that we are afraid of, God is not afraid of using. Because you know what Saul actually did? not only did he reach the Gentile people, he as a powerful religious Jewish person would go into the synagogues and he would debate the Jewish people. And he would actually bring some of them into saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and help them to connect to the way and help them to become a part of this church of Jesus Christ because he could speak their language. It was his story. It was his past. It was what he had been that actually allowed him to get influence into their lives and into their story. What if the great adventure that God is calling you to is that He wants to use you to reach people that you used to be? What if God desires to use you to reach people that you used to be? To reach people maybe that you despise? To reach people that you can't imagine God would have grace toward them? And yet He wants to shine a light. And get their attention. And he wants to speak truth into their heart and into their lives. And get their attention. And change the trajectory of their lives forever. To call them to. To a great adventure. What if God desires to use you in that way? What if God today chose to make today the day that your life shift forever? what if today was the day? Here's what I know. Over the last four and a half years when we've gathered together, what I don't have the power to do, God does. He transforms lives. He speaks into our hearts. He speaks into our lives. And people have come into gatherings just like this in the four and a half years that we've been here. And that day or the next day, people have walked out of this place and they've quit their jobs. They've broken off engagements. They've broken off relationships. They've gone back to school. Not because of me, not because of a song we sang, but because God speaks to us. God does something in our lives, and our hearts. He calls us to a great adventure where we jump on the back of the moped and we say, I don't know where this is headed, but I'm in. When you walk out in a few minutes, you'll have the opportunity to pick up one of these little wooden tokens. My kids have been calling it YAB because it says Y-A-B. But it says the day, and it has August the 7th, 2016 on it. YAB says your adventure begins. The day your adventure begins could be today. And so we're going to pray in just a moment here. And if you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've never received him as the Lord and Savior of your life, or maybe you have, but you know you've turned your back on him and you're walking your own way, writing your own story, we're going to give you a chance to respond. We're also going to allow those of us that maybe are in a relationship with Christ, we say, hey, I'm writing my own story. I'm attempting to do things my own way through my own strength. I want to live a great adventure and I want today to be the day that my adventure begins. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. with Nobody looking around before we pray this morning. If you would say to me, Jeremy, I want to trust God and believe God for a great adventure and I know that that starts for me By accepting Him as the Lord and Savior of my life, would you lift your hand right where you're at? Say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. We're gonna pray for you in just a moment and believe that God, as soon as you lifted your hand, even before that maybe, before you raised your heart in need to Him, that He responded to you. And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, it's not a salvation issue for me, but I want God to help me to live a great adventure. I want God to help me to live the story He's writing for my life and not the story I'm writing for myself. Would you lift your hand right where you're at and put it right back down? Thank you so much. Let's pray. God, we thank you today that you hear us when we call out to you, that you see us when we lift our hands. God, you acknowledge when we lift our hearts. And today, right now, I pray for every person that lifted their hand to acknowledge that they want you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. God, I pray right now that you would help them to see themselves as not just a sinner, but now as, that, as someone that is redeemed. God, we believe that you save us. We believe that you call us out of our sin, God. And we thank you that you forgive us. We thank you for your love and your grace towards us. And God, now I pray for every person that lifted their hands to say that they want to live a great adventure, that they want to live a life that is you writing their story that takes them into the unknown, perhaps. God, it requires trust. It requires faith. But I pray that you would help us to trust you more, believe in you more than we ever have before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com/cantonchurchga.